Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc., who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I have an amazing uh, guest today for this episode. But before that, I'll take some time to introduce myself. Uh, Who am I? My name is Mamadou Balde. I don't like to limit myself in terms of who I am, but I like to call myself as a problem solver and an optimist in terms of what I do. Currently, I'm an engineer uh, working for ExxonMobil as an optimization engineer. And uh, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, uh, studied chemical engineering there. And uh, what am I involved in? Uh, or oh, let's talk about you can do it too. What's this podcast about? This podcast is about uh, exposing, uh, showcasing the excellent activities that different minority professionals are out there doing, uh, showcasing stories, amazing stories with the goal of inspiring other minorities to believe that they can also defy the odds. They can also uh, climb their own mountain and be whoever they want. So the goal of this podcast is to help uh, these young people uh, to to believe that no matter where they are, no matter their circumstances, that they can do it too. Before we get into the podcast, I want to talk more about some of the things that I'm involved in. Uh, Besides work, I'm uh, one of the co-founders of a Women's Relief Initiative, uh, which is a nonprofit organization uh, that we started about two years ago uh, that with the mission of providing mental Ed to women in underserved communities around the world. I recently founded uh, a nonprofit organization, charity organization called Unity Heals, uh, with, the most, with the mission of improving healthcare uh, in the poorest corners of the world, starting with Guinea, which is my home country. Currently, actually, we have a big fundraiser uh, going on. We are trying to build a healthcare clinic uh, in Conakry, Guinea. And uh, to do that, we are making a documentary about the healthcare issues in Guinea. And we have a big fundraiser going on. And uh, I'll definitely put the link on the show note. But definitely, uh, we would love to, if you can donate, uh, definitely help. We would love for your help to help us. Uh, I'm having a hard time because it's very hard to ask for a donation for me. But what I'm saying is, your donations will definitely help us uh, reach our goal in terms of what we're trying to do with Unity Hills. As you can guess, the fact that we put Unity in that name is definitely purposeful. I believe in that in Unity, uh, no mountain is too hard to climb. Uh, no, no, 
no journey is too hard to walk through. So in unity, uh, we'll able to go much further without anyone feeling that much pain. So please help us in any way. You can donate anything you can will helpful, but you also can help us put the world out there by sharing our GoFundMe and, and all of that. So my Instagram is Mamba Inspire. That is M-A-M -M underscore B-A underscore Inspire. And you can definitely find the link to the GoFundMe uh, on the on the uh, on my profile. So definitely whatever you can donate will help. And sharing the world out there will also help. And I'll definitely if you do that, that's definitely gonna help us uh, reach our goal. And let's get on this journey together. So with no further ado, uh, this podcast, today I have an amazing guest. Her name is IJ. She's a process engineer. Uh, she's been working for uh, one of the biggest companies in the United States, Chevron, uh, for three years now. Before that, she went to PV A&M in Houston, Prairie View A&M, uh, with a degree of chemical engineering. And before that, she's originally from Nigeria. Uh, that's her background. And uh, IJ has found a way uh, with all the business in her life. She has found a way to follow her passion, which is starting an organization uh, to improve uh, and help women entrepreneurs around the globe, African women entrepreneurs to be themselves and to really uh, accentuate uh, their skills and, and reach their full potential. Uh, she has an amazing story, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. How are you doing? It's a, it's a beautiful Saturday. Yes, it is, and um, I'm doing very well. Um, it's always 70 and sunny in LA, and as you can see, it's 70 and sunny, so that's good. When did you move to LA, by the way? Um, I've been in LA for almost four years. I still get that question. Um, some people still think I live in Houston, some people still think I live in Ohio, um, LA is my base right now. That's amazing, that sun in LA, it seems to be the best place to be right now, it's shining. You know, it's, it's really, really nice, especially the beach, it's beautiful, yeah, so, yeah. That's amazing. Do you go often? Is it close? To the beach? Okay, see, there's something about me as sand, I just can't deal with the logistics of sand. Um, but I do hang out on like the strips. Um, so like Manhattan beach, um, I try to stay away from like the touristy beaches, like Santa Monica's and Venice, but like, um, Redondo beach, um, Manhattan beach. I try to stay a little bit more South. Um, and there are a lot of bars and really cool stuff to do out there. So yeah, that's pretty much what I would do. That's amazing. You're getting me hooked. I never, I never been in Cali before. So oh, I wait, where are, are you? Out. I'm in where Texas. <laughs> What part of Texas? Midland? Now Houston. Oh, oh, I'm from Houston. I'm from Houston. It's, it's, it's funny. It's funny how you chose Midland. <laughs> I was like, no, when you said Midland, I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, Midland is Midland. It's nowhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, Houston is a cool spot. I was just in Houston in August for a convention, and I had a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually going to be in Houston next Wednesday. So, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking your time on this beautiful Saturday to talk to me. 
I am really uh, starting to enjoy this podcast, just getting to know uh, people, you understand, getting to learn what they're doing and just building more connections. Uh, yeah. And hopefully uh, our conversations, the goal of our conversation is always to inspire that younger generation to believe that no matter who they are, they can also do it, right? Yeah. They can also do it. So let's start with my, my first question that I always try to ask because this is very important to me. What are you grateful for? I am grateful. Well, first of all, before I answer that question, thank you again for the platform. Um, and I thank you for what you're doing as well, because it's very critical that um, you know the younger generation does see um, is made like a lot of these things that people are doing right now um, is made visible to them, because I can see how or I've personally experienced how not being able to see someone who looks like you has your similar story can also stunt your growth. So um, I really appreciate what you're doing here. And obviously I am very honored to be on this um, um, as part of this discussion. Now, what am I grateful for in life? Um, yeah, it, I mean, COVID and um, everything that came with it has um, really reminded me that no matter what, thank God for life. Um, whether you are begging on the street, whether you are in a big house, whatever the case may be, um, there is no price tag on a breath. Um, so that's one thing that I'm very uh, grateful for at this at this specific moment in time. Wow, yeah. that's that's amazing. And COVID nineteen has been a it's a, 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 a common, a global enemy. Everybody oh, yeah. felt it. Everybody around the world felt it. And uh, it has definitely made people stop a little bit and think about what they really care about, right? yeah. what, what means the most to them. And for you, uh, for talking to you uh, earlier, uh, it, it has even been uh, harder for you. you mm. there, there were big punches that were thrown at you. Uh, you, you lost your father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, very, uh, very big punch. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's, and that's the reason why I say it, thank God for life, because um, unfortunately, the loss of my dad really put a lot of things in perspective for me. Um, and also healing from that, um, you know, being in a position where it was really hard to pull myself out of there. So that's why I also say thank God for life because a lot of people do experience these kind of heavy losses and end up losing their lives. So um, yeah, again, very grateful for life at this moment in time. But COVID, COVID came with its challenges. Um, we, so I, I personally had torn up my ACL um, late 2019. So I limped wow. into 2020. Um, and right when I was trying to, I was still wearing my brace and everything, but um, that was already a very like depressing moment. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, surgeries and they think about the physical pain and, you know, regain, like learning how to walk again. Um, but there's the emotional piece. I'm a very independent person, uh, very, very independent person. So having someone take me around and having 
like me essentially be the inconvenience, right? Like, okay, you get invited. Well, I'm going to take up the whole backseat because I need to stretch my leg out, right? So there was that emotional, the emotional piece that came was healing from that. And then around, around March, um, you know, I was limping, but I, it was, if you were looking close enough, you would see I was limping, but I was okay, but I was still in a little bit of pain. But um, I decided to take a trip. I was like, you know what, IJ, like, let's go ahead and change scenery. Um, and in March, like literally a few days before we closed down, I, I was on a flight to Nairobi and wow. um, I had an amazing time. But I remember getting a text message saying, hey, everybody come back. Everybody's going to um, going back home to work from home. Um, and so obviously, you know, after my trip, I came back, started working from home. We had the issues with Black Lives Matter, which was a huge deal last year. And it, it took a very um, big emotional toll on me personally. Um, it was everywhere. It was at work. It was on the news. It was on social media. Um, and it seemed like it was back to back to back to back. And just the reminder that, you know, no matter what, you're just seen as a black person in the US. So that was very, very depressing. And then right after that, my dad passed. And so I just had a whole lot of like, boop, boop, boop. like a lot of trials, a lot of, like you said, punches last year and um, having to deal with everything that was coming up at the time. Um, and also making sure that um, IJ was okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it was difficult. Um, but I'm thanking God for progress. I think um, I came into 2021 um, not expecting anything. <laughs> um, wow. And yeah, just trying to compart at the time was compartmentalizing so I can get stuff done because at the end of the day, life still continues, right? Um, work still got to go to work. Um, family still needs to get fed. A lot of things still need to continue to happen. Um, wow. And, you know, the world does expect you to get back together um, in the midst of all of the crazy things that are going on, but that's only if you let them, right? So you have to prioritize yourself um, and make sure you know how to say no and just say, hey, no, this is not, this is not working for me right now. Um, how else can we accomplish this goal, right? Um, or taking that PTO. Um, taking that additional sick time, whatever whatever the case may be, um, it is one thing that I learned in that process is just saying IJ, prioritize IJ because family, people are prioritizing themselves, companies are prioritizing themselves. Um, and so I'll be doing myself a disservice if I didn't prioritize me. Definitely. That is so crazy. And I didn't know, like, <laughs> that is so many trial and tribulations back that happened. Back. ACL, I, I remember I taught my ACL in college. And mm. it, yes, I've had a lot of challenges in life, but that was the most felt challenge that I ever had. Just, just the fact that it seems like your leg is separating all the time. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely felt, felt that. that that's, that's crazy. Like, and I definitely understand what you mean by feeling, having that sense of independence because after I told my ACL, I also came to college. Uh, I, I went back to college directly and didn't go home. So I had to 
deal with that with schools. So I definitely understand that. And man, you had so many challenges. And my biggest question to you is with all those hard punches that is penetrating to the to, to your inner being, like how do you rise every day and just focus? Like what's the biggest characteristic that tells you I just need to focus on, on the future and everything that happened is mm -hmm. something that has happened and I shouldn't let that stop me from the overall goal. Mm. Um, that's such a great question. I think, I think there, there's something that needs to be said about sitting in the moment though. Um, when, when certain things like that do hit you and, and I've, I'm, in general, I'm a pretty like brush it off kind of girl. Like, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, okay, it doesn't matter. Yeah, falls off my shoulder. But I think last year really tested me emotionally, um, and and that's the reason why I say there's something that needs to be said about sitting in the moment and actually dealing with what is going on at the time, mm -hmm. um, and 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 in a healthy way. Um, so I remember. Um, using like the example of Black Lives Matter, that was something that really sucked. Like um, I was in school when Sandra Bland um, was killed um, or, or suspiciously found dead in, mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a cell or a jail um, Who's that in Waller County. So uh, Sandra Bland, she was one of the people who um, passed as a result of police violence. So okay. at part of you, so I think she had, I, I may be wrong on the story, but I think she was coming back from her. She went to Prairie View a and I think she was interviewing for a position out there or something like that. And because she did not put her blinker on before she switched, um, lanes, she got pulled over and she got pulled over, um, ended up in jail. Um, and by that Monday she was found dead what happened? We don't know. Um, and that really hit hard because that's too close to campus. I went to HBCU and Black Lives Matter for it to be that close to, to our campus and just realizing that nobody is safe. And it is in Waller County, Texas, um, really left an impression on me. Um, and so whenever I hear like, you know, stories of Trayvon Martin, um, and just even, whew, it, it really just reminds me that, yo, IJ, you're just another Black person in wow. the U.S. And it's a very depressing thought, um, but, but I find hope in God. And I, find, I find hope in um, if it's your time, it's your time. Um, but I really do, I really put my hope on God because... I can't even explain what is going on. I don't know why. I don't understand mm -hmm. why. Um, but anyway, so so in that example, social media definitely heightened a lot of my emotions at the time. But there was something about like seeing that and sitting down and crying about it and praying about it um, and just sitting with it. Um, because it allows you to really process what your emotions are, what, what is going on. Um, and for me, um, it also allowed me to figure out like, IJ, I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this, like, 
emotion, not, I mean, I say I don't want to deal with the emotion, but like, this was too much for me. And I think I took on too much than I thought um, that I can emotionally handle. In that process, I was like, IJ, what can we do to reduce that in the future? Um, Because there is a part of protecting yourself from a lot of information, I think, because, you know, COVID, you know, TikTok was coming out. Everybody was on the ground. It was and, um, information overload. Yeah. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, IJ, that is not healthy. And that was something I was processing in when I was feeling down. Um, so, and even in, with my dad, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that um, people don't understand comes with grief. Um, and I think that there's, there is, something that needs to be said about sitting with it and just like processing what is going on there. And then when you're done processing, plan the the next way forward. Um, Unfortunately, in that time, in that time, um, it was very hard for me to pull myself up. It was very, very hard. Um, I know like, especially coming from an African community, stop crying, stop crying, uh, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, why are you crying? You know, you're too old to be crying. You know, like yeah. things like that. We don't really have a culture that allows you to like actually express your true emotions. Your feelings, yeah. Exactly. And so I think people don't process that. And then it keeps like piling up and piling up. But I will say this, when you are processing, like, and when I say sit in it, make sure you have somebody else with you. Um, because somebody will let you know you've been sitting in there for a little too long. Um, I know um, coming into this year, I told you I had no expectations. Um, And the first five months, I was pretty much depressed. Um, And I remember being depressed and not wanting to not be depressed. Um, It was like one of those, like, you know, you're in a hole and the hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're making no moves to get yourself out. That was kind of where I was. But um, thankfully, I had you know family, I had friends, um, but that came with me telling them, hey, I'm not okay. Something's going on. I don't feel like myself. I need help. Um, and then obviously, I'm getting to a point where I had to seek professional help just to kind of process everything that um, has been thrown at me in the last 18 months. Definitely. So as far as your question, you know, how how do you keep going regardless of what's going on? I'll say when it is happening, take it all in. Um, protect yourself as much as you can from a lot of information, from a lot of family, uh, because sometimes, you know, people may mean well, but that's not what you need at the time. It is okay to say, sorry, I... If they call you, text them, hey, I'm busy. Um, I've mastered the art of texting people at 2 a.m. Oh my gosh, I missed your call. When I know good and well, they're not going to pick up. So like that may be a toxic strategy, but that's those are some things that I needed to do to say, you know, IJ, these people don't matter right now. IJ matters. And, Definitely. and if you take care of yourself, then you'll be able to better take care of other people. Exactly. And you don't even have the emotional capacity to do that. Um, At that time, you need all that you can get from others, in my personal opinion. Um, And, and, and yeah, so I I think, I think as far as like, 
looking forward and like pushing yourself and trying to get to the next goal. Um, sometimes getting to the, sometimes that reveals itself in, in the processing of what your emotions are at the time. Um, like I said, like my dad's death really changed a lot of things for me. Um, it really made me bolder um, coming out of there, coming out of that, or even still processing that. But, but one of the things I'm taking out of there is like betting on yourself, IJ. It doesn't matter what people will say or what people will not say. Um, what makes IJ um, happy, joyful, fulfilled, whatever the case may be for whoever that person is, um, betting on yourself and doing it because life is too short. Um, life is too short. Yeah, it's, yeah. It really is. Um, and so that's one thing I will say. Sometimes the next step is revealed and getting through that phase. I mean, it really, do, it really does change you, right? Like it's, it, it, you, you're no longer the IJ of before. You're now this new IJ with different goals or slightly different, um, out, with a slightly different outlook on life. Um, and so you kind of go from there. And uh, I think I'm a strong advocate for seeking professional help. Um, when I started getting into, um, um, I got together with my therapist I think that's when I started seeing the light a little bit more where I felt yeah. like I can set, I started off, I'm not going to lie. I started off setting goals for tomorrow. I was like, you know what? By tomorrow, clean your room and cook. Let's do that. That's it. Yeah. And, and that's step. it. Don't overload yourself. Don't overload yourself. And the next week, all right, we have to complete, you know, send out an email or plan this event or whatever give yourself an hour um and then eventually you start looking a little bit further into the future and i'm still in the months planning at this point not in the years plan but again um as you uh, allow yourself to process because there may be some things that may be revealed in that process yeah yeah definitely about the uh, one thing that you mentioned about the uh the the death of George Floyd and people like that during the Black Power movement. I feel like so many of us felt the same thing, even though uh, we didn't have the space to talk about it too much. For me, as you said, right, we grew up in an atmosphere where you are told that you are too old to cry, right? You should, you should. And to be honest, when it happened, I tried my hardest to keep my emotions inside, right? And every time I look at the news, every time I look at the video, I can't imagine myself being under that knee. I can't imagine myself. When Ahmed Arbery uh, was killed, it was, I, 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 I ran, I ran that morning and came and then saw the news. And in my feeling, in my heart, I'm like, that could be me, right? I was a I was an athlete. I wanted to run. I, I was in a white neighborhood, right? I, I wanted to, I'm always working out, right? And in my mind, it's like, do you really yeah. is this something that you want to keep doing? Or maybe it's just better be safe to stay home and not do that, right? I remember a specific day uh, after George Floyd, like after three days, I was fighting as hard as I can to keep everything inside, just be able all my friends texting me are you okay but i'm not okay but it's like it's like you know just 
as long as nobody see what's hurting mm. is you're not hurting right and stuff like that so but there was a specific time uh i was i was outside and my mom found me i couldn't i couldn't keep it mm. and she was like what's going on she recognized that uh i wasn't the same for the past three days and she, when she say uh what's going on it was like a door opening all my emotions came out i was crying mm crying like a baby and she was like what's going on like I couldn't talk and I just found so much healing uh, just in crying crying even though it was embarrassing crying in front of my mom at the age of 24 but, <laughs> but just I cried and it was this amazing feeling and I feel like as you said you just, you just start learning that like it's okay to share your emotions it's okay to take care of yourself. You don't have to be always strong. Sometimes being strong is being able to recognize that you need help, you ask for help, and then you get better, right? Mm -hmm. And inspire other people to do the same, right? So I, I definitely yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of like uh, where we grow up, just the ability, the idea of staying strong and and, and uh, don't worry too much about uh, your, your mental health and stuff like that. It, it could be the culture that we grew up in. Uh, talking about that, can you talk a little bit about where you grew up in? Like, what was that atmosphere like? Um, so I grew up in a, in a Nigerian household. Um, <laughs> I was born in Houston. But I like how you're smiling. Yeah, because, you know, I think, I just, it was just a little different. I, I think, obviously, like, I think we can all really, as Africans on our um, upbringing, but um, I had very, um, my mom was a super duper ambitious woman. I um, love her to the death. Um, my mom is super dope. That's the best way to put it. Um, she, I, I think I get most of my personality from her. Um, my dad is super duper hardworking. Um, my dad inspires me in so many ways that he doesn't know. Um, and biggest thing is that my dad will sacrifice everything for us. Um, so I grew up in a pretty loving family, um, Nigerians. And uh, I, I was born on the south side of Houston. Um, but at the age of seven, we moved to Nigeria. And so um, spent six years in Nigeria. I'm the first of four um, to grow two boys. And um, that was when life kind of got real. Um, you know, so the, the intent of moving us to Nigeria was, you know, obviously to learn our culture um, and to meet the other parts of our family and see where our parents were from, essentially. That, that was the story behind that. Um, I grew up in Potakwart, Nigeria. If you know Burna Boy, that's where he's from. So let me go ahead and, you know, say that's a brother, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I grew up with my aunt. So my aunt was a little bit more traditional um, in that, you know, she was kind of, hey, you know, do your schoolwork at school when you come home you do girls work, you know, um, wash clothes, <laughs> things like that, cook, all of that stuff. Um, and then six years later, I moved back to the U.S. and lived with my parents out here. 
Um, and since then, I've been here. Uh, I went to Prairie a &M. But as far as how I grew up, I grew up, it depends on the phase of my life. In yeah. the very beginning, um, it was nice to have, you know, both your parents in the, yeah. in the, yeah. in the house. Um, moving to Nigeria was slightly different. Um, there was not a whole lot of parental like supervision. So my aunt pretty much raised us and she was relatively young at the time as well. Yeah. Um, and I would say for the most part, we, we grew up in a family that, or my, my personal experience with the way, you know, the different transitions in my life, um, biggest thing is independence. That's one thing I was, I was taught. Yeah. Um, my mom is a, like, I don't care where you're at. Like you need to be able to take care of yourself. Yes. Um, and obviously moving to Nigeria, not really knowing my aunt in the beginning really solidified my relationship with my siblings because we all kind of trusted each other um, and always just kind of stuck to each other. It also helps that we were all just a year apart. Um, but I just remember the biggest thing that really stands out to me, my childhood was independence um, and being adaptable. So obviously in that transition, it was very interesting to like move yeah. back and forth at such a young age. Um, yeah. But the I independence, would, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was saying, I also think it's, con it's connected to leaving your parents' home where yes. you have to really figure out a way to adapt. And yeah, so. exactly. And in a different country, right? Um, you have to make friends, you have to still do well in school, all of these things. Um, and I'm every day I'm grateful for that experience um, because I don't think like Nigeria is such a pivotal time in my life. Um, and it's in fact framed a lot of the stuff that I do today. Um, so I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, one thing that really stands out to me is just that sense of independence. I am very, and, and all my siblings are too. Everybody just kind of finds their way and just kind of does their own thing. Um, that, yeah, I would say, I would say that's the biggest thing as far as yeah. like how I grew up and obviously growing up with like very ambitious parents, um, who their goal, my dad's goal was more like, oh, you know, my children are taken care of school fees is paid. I'll help out family members and I'm cool. My mom was like, I'm going to help the whole world. I want to build a hospital. I want to build this. I want to do this. How do we make the money to do that? And so growing up thinking about um, money for, as a tool um, to help people was something that was, um, was instilled in me at a very early age. Um, and also, again, I, I keep saying independence, but that is so deep because like that is, that allows me to literally move to different states and figure it out. Um, that allows me to tr do like solo trips and figure it out. Um, yeah. That allows me to just kind of um, make my own moves and we'll just kind of figure that, like it would all just kind of figure itself out and gives me, it gives me that boldness and the confidence to be able to do what I want to do. Exactly, um, you're not you're not limited by fears. Like exactly, fear that come, it, it's not you you 
you're seeing your mother having goals and going at them 100% tells you, okay, it's okay to go through your goals. No matter if you have the potential of failing, it's completely okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say, yeah, even my mom is, she was definitely one of those people. My mom will always look, tell you like, what do you have in your hands? Cause that's what matters. And uh, my mom was also an advocate of, yeah, degrees are cool, but what can you do with your hands? Exactly. Um, so at a very young age, I was an apprentice at a salon. And it was like eight, no, not eight, maybe 10, 10, wow. 11. Yeah. So we, me and my sister, we're doing hair, we're doing nails when we're in Nigeria, um, learned how to, like we did, we dabbled in like sewing a little bit, um, just like things that my mom was like, if I threw you in Alaska, I need you to still be able to take care of yourself and whoever's right. around you. Um, and that's something I'm very grateful for because um, I, I, I don't talk about the hair aspect of me a lot, um, but I, I, I paid for rent at college by doing hair. Um, it, it, it was, it's crazy. Um, but I don't do hair as much now. I just kind of, people who know I do hair know that I do hair and they come to me directly, but I don't advertise or anything like that. But I remember at the time, um, when I did it, one, it was one of the ways that I, I broke the ice and wherever I went, when I moved to Ohio, posted on Facebook, oh, Hey, I do hair. And that was how I met a lot of people in the community. Um, that's how I obviously continued to you know, do hair, make money on the side. Um, but that's something that my mom always talked about. Make sure you have, my mom said it, it's called Akon. So literally work of your hands in Igbo. Yeah. And, um, and it and translates to life. Yeah. No, because it, you have to like be able, like, no matter what you're learning, no matter what comes to you, you need to be able to find a way to translate it into some kind of power that you agreed. can output to the world. And that can Agreed. be using your hands. That can be like being able to be valuable. And so it's no, more, no matter what you do, people are going to need your skill sets. 100%. I mean, if that is public speaking for you, if that is strategy, strategizing for you, if that's, um, or in my case, doing hair, sewing, um, mechanic work, whatever it is, um, there's going to be a demand somewhere. Um, and if you are in a rut or if you need to do something um, or, you know, need that extra cash, all you need to do is like, hey, man, I can do this. And you get you get what you need. And also people don't talk about the community that you build with that. Um, like I said, that was such a, ne a big networking piece for me. Um, being able to do hair, it really connects me to a lot of opportunities. Um, and my mom does hair. And that's the same, it's a very similar story with her. It, it, honestly, even in a more grandeur um, way, just the access that doing hair has um, given to her. So, yeah. Amazing. One thing that you mentioned about uh, the, when your parents decided for you to go live with your aunt, right? Uh, I definitely connect to that story. Uh, just that. For me also, I, I left my home in Guinea, West Africa, day of very young and came to the US move with my uncle. And definitely, no matter how amazing my uncle was, my uncle is like my father. He's one of the 
most amazing being. He took care of me, he took me in, and he gave me everything that I needed to be able to be successful in high school and go and be an excel in college. But no matter what, when you leave your home, when you leave your parents, it's a different setting when you are in somebody's parents, it's a different situation. Yes. And that definitely give you some kind of independence. One thing that you said uh, that was that definitely makes sense was the fact that when you got there at your aunt's place, you and your siblings, since you guys have always been together, you guys became even tighter because no matter what, no matter who you are, you're always looking for some kind of sense of trust, right? Yeah. And bonding and belongingness, right? And you attract any community that is willing to give you that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, that that yeah, I agree. It's a familiarity, um, and also you know, it. I think a lot of things are done better together, right? Um, and so that's something that solidified my bond with my siblings even till today. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So were you always the smartest in the class? Like, when did you decide? <laughs> No, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna be like this African. I carry fast. Everybody's carrying fast. Everybody carrying fast. Um, I'm not the smartest in the room. I don't. I don't think I am. Um, but I, I will do what I need to do to get where I need to be. Um, if that is the definition of smart, okay. Um, but no, I, I don't think I've always been the smartest in the room, um, which is actually a pretty good thing. I really like. I really like that I'm not because I'm challenged. Um, I, I do. I'm a very introspect, introspective person, so I think a lot. Um, I ask questions, um, but I think it's a blessing that I've not been the smartest in the room. Um, Definitely, because it has really allowed me to learn. Yeah. Yep. If you are, you need to change. You need to change room. That's what they say, right? Because yeah, it's, it's a problem, but. Yeah, no, I'm so thankful that, um, I mean, there are areas that I'm good at, but I love that I have friends and family that really complement the areas um, or, or are great in the areas that they're good at. Um, and so we just kind of um, pull from each other, um, which I feel like is a healthier way to do certain things. So, and honestly, like, was, um, Erica Badu, I was listening to her song yesterday, and she said, um, the man who says he knows everything, no, the man that says he knows everything knows nothing at all. Like, mm -hmm. it, the moment you start believing that you are the smartest, you realize how much you really don't know, and that is a very humbling experience. So no, I'm yeah. not the smartest in the room. I just need to, I just do what I need to do um, to get where I need to be. And that's that's one thing I realize about life, right? If you if you is if you are trying to be the smartest smartest person in the room, you only can go so far. The people who can move mountains and defy odds are people who have the ability to identify the different things they need to know and bring that all to their plate and be yeah. able to use it into something that is translatable. Right? I agree. So your goal shouldn't be to be the smartest person because you're gonna have to focus on so many things and that's draining. But if you can pull people who can focus on specific pieces, you can put those pieces into like this big uh, puzzle basically 
and make it something that you want. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, it's a, it's it's that um, one record. There's strength in recognizing what your weaknesses are, um, and one going out to learn about them. I think it's a very, again humbling experience. Make sure you're out there learning. You don't like you keep learning until you die. So nobody really knows everything. Um, the sooner you know that, like the better. Um, yeah. And leveraging people around you, man. You don't need to know everything. Listen, I I don't have the brain capacity to know everything. But I do know who knows, and that that is um, that is a gift in itself. So yes, it yeah. is. Let's talk about Prairie View a little bit. Ha ha ha! How did you choose Prairie View? I think PV chose me. Wow. Um, I'll go ahead and say that. Um, I, I went to school in League City, Texas. Um, so close to Galveston, if you're if you're familiar with the area. Yeah. Um, and it's predominantly white, Asian. Pretty, I think. I mean, we had a lot of black. I think we had enough black folks to not feel like. Ooh. But I will say this because I was only in an advanced level classes. I didn't really have a whole lot of African Americans in my class. I think there may be like one or two of us. Um, in my AP or pre-AP classes. So my experience at Clear Springs High School was mostly white and Asian. Um, and so because of the kind of classes I was taking, because of my GPA, because of like some of the accolades that I got on campus, um, my counselor was like, oh, UT Austin, Texas Tech, uh, what, Baylor, 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 yeah. Um, and there was another school, Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, you can go to all these schools, great, great, great. And also my classmates were planning to go to these schools. Like my friends, my best friend ended up going to UT Austin. Um, and uh I didn't necessarily have a dream of like what school I wanted to go to necessarily. Um, I just wanted to um, go to a school where um, I could be on the fast track to become a doctor. That's a whole nother conversation <laughs> because I, I was going into school for, for pre-med. Um, and so I remember vividly um, when I, so going back to my mom doing hair. Um, so my mom had a client and she, you know, it was mostly white area in League City. So the few black people that she would do their hair in League City were affluent. Like, you know, they still had, they, they had decent careers and things like that. So they were doctors, lawyers, all of this stuff. And um, she was doing a client's hair and found out that she, she went to Purview and she was getting ready to go into medical school. And so that's the way Purview even came into my mind was through my mom and through her client. And so I remember, so after school, I always went to my mom's shop to help her braid hair. Um, that was my high school experience. And um, I eventually got to meet this girl. It's so funny. I ran into her. I ran into her in August for that convention. I haven't seen her since high school. And a friend of mine who lives in Los Angeles was like, oh, hey girl, do you know 
uh, please meet Crystal. I was like, Crystal, like, whoa, I haven't, I haven't seen her in so long. And she was the person who introduced Purview to me. Um, and I was sold on, you know, um, the fact that she was able to, she was going to medical school and um, she was a part of this program that was pretty much paying for her college tuition while she was there. Now, um, so when I applied to Purview, um, I got a lot of scholarships. I, I had, I mean, I had private scholarships, but I had like Prairie View scholarships, which when I did all the math against Baylor, against Texas Tech, what they were giving, um, Prairie View was the highest bidder. Um, and I was like, all right, let's do it. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't know nothing about Prairie View until I got on campus and I was like, oh shoot, there's a lot of black folk here. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready. I, I did not know anything about HBCUs, HBCU experience, nothing. My dad even went to TSU, did not know anything about the HBCU experience. Um, and when I got on campus, it was a it was a culture shock. It's a culture shock, again, coming from a mostly white um, Asian experience at, in League City. And here I am going to this um, um, historically black college um, down in Waller County. Um, and I got to meet a lot of folks. I got to meet a whole lot of, um, uh, you know, like the deans and the teachers and the professors and things like that, which was cool. I got to see, you know, living quarters, you know, just a typical campus visit. Um, and I remember when I got there, um, I was already sold on Purview because the money was making sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went <laughs> and, uh, I will go ahead and say that Purview really taught me how to, not how to, but people just need opportunity. People wow. just need that one. Yes. Um, and they will soar. Um, going now, now going in a high school, in this high school, the only place where I saw black, again, I moved from Nigeria to, um, into this high school. Yeah. To League City. Okay. So, you know, when your parents are saying, oh, you know, black people aren't smart or don't follow, you know, certain African-Americans, um, you know, those stereotypical things. Um, that, and, and they're only good at sports or, you know, things like that. Um, and, I, and I hate to be the one saying this, but that, that's, that's a real thing that, um, that creates that further divide within the black community where we can't afford to divide anymore. Um, so in hearing that, um, and also getting to school and it proving itself out, right. Cause like, even going on campus, like it was the black girls and Hispanic girls that were pregnant. It was like, they were not in my AP class. Why aren't they in my AP class? When I go to a regular class now, okay, now that's where you see a lot more the uh, higher African-American population in those classes. Track, football, that's where all the African-Americans were at. And in my mind, I'm like, 
like, do you like how do you not know about these classes? I came all the way from Africa. I know about these classes. Why are you not in these classes? And that was what that was what I was going through. That was what's going through my mind when yeah, I was in, in Prairie View, exactly in, in League City because here's what my parents are saying. This is what people are saying in general. And here I am on campus seeing that actually play out. And then Prairie View was the scissors I needed to cut that out of my mind. Um, and I realized that it wasn't even that they weren't smart. It was who was feeding them information. Um, exactly. Who was mentally putting anybody down that they can't perform in an AP class. I had a counselor who was telling me when I got to when I got my admission to Prairie she told me I shouldn't go there. I was too smart for a Prairie So, wow. so having now looking back, or even when I got to Prairie looking back, I was like, yo, because of who I'd put myself out there to be, you already categorized me as too smart to be at Prairie and said, or maybe you draw your draw your own conclusions about who deserves to be at Prairie and that person's supposed to be less smart, right? So, um, Purview was a culture shock, not only just with the black experience, but also those things that I'd heard and saw in at Clear Springs was like, this is a lie. Because again, goes back to if you just give somebody an opportunity to show themselves um, or give them, give people information, you never really know what will come out of that. And I think that Purview was the breeding ground for Black excellence that I knew of at the time um, and a breeding ground for equalizing opportunity um, for the Black community. Wow. Um, and, you know, even when I went to Purview, you know, I, I it's, it's crazy how much unlearning I had to do when I got to PV because, again, you're being told all these things and you're going to campus and you're seeing them, but I was not the smartest in the room when I was at Prairie View. Um, very smart people were at Prairie View and University and doing very well. We had, um, and to speak on the opportunity side, recognizing that there are a lot of, you know, the Black community is like, um, a lot of people don't have the money. A lot of people don't have the mentors. A lot of people don't have the information. A lot of people don't even know what they don't know. Purview was that like full package for a lot of people, especially people who wanted to get that information. A lot of people who had just the drive to be great. And, um, Per, yeah, Purview opened up a lot of doors for me. That's amazing. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, coming from Lake City uh, with that experience and uh, as you said, uh, not knowing and not really being uh, in contact too much with African-American in the U.S., right? What, how, how did you fit in? Like, how hard was it to feel like you are part? Because it's a, it's a different atmosphere, right? 100%. And, yeah. Let me let me go ahead and say um, fitting in. Um, let me say this: there is a level of confidence that comes with 
living in Nigeria. If you know Nigerians, our egos, we carry it on our chest, you know? It's like one of those, like, it, it, going to Nigeria reminds me of an HBCU experience. You go there, it's you against you, right? Like, there is no color issue. Maybe maybe there is a money issue, right? Like, people who come from uh, money and those who don't, right? So there, there can be divide there, but... For the more, and then and then Nigeria has a way of humbling you. Shave your head off. Everybody's wearing the same uniform. Everybody's wearing the same shoe. There is no. Everybody respects themselves. You know what I'm saying. So it's bare bones and just competition. Who is the smartest? Who's reading their book? Who's doing their assignment? Who's passing the exams? And so there's an empowerment that comes with. Is he not you? You know, like. I'll be all right. You know what I mean? There was an empowerment, just knowing like, um, is that pride? Yeah. Like you can do it. You've done it. And there is also that like IJ, nobody can tell you anything. Just go and do the assignments. Is it not just assignment? You're okay. Right. So coming to league city, I definitely had that, like that, African blood in me kind of pride, right? Like I, I definitely went into school. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I think there is, um, maybe it was also, okay, let me say it this way. Maybe it was also ignorance. Cause I think that's also the reason why our parents came here and just excelled Be- yeah, or yeah. most of them excelled because what's it, you know, what's the white man going to do? Right. That's exactly, like, after- it's, it's, it's the biggest, like it's exposure. Yes. It's it's that being so grounded with yourself and just being so prideful, uh, not even just prideful, but you're just so confident that you don't give a damn and you just do what you got to do. And to some extent, I would even argue that some of our parents probably were, they weren't even really looking too much at color until certain things happened to them. Um, that's my argument that's open yeah, for, yeah, yeah. feel free to combat <laughs> me on that. But it's one of those things where I felt like you were just so strong in who you were. You, you just, you just did it. You just kept it's definitely, it's definitely how we, I think it's the part of the culture you grew up in, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like growing up in a, in a house with a secret door. If, mm. if, if growing up all your life, nobody's telling you to not try to open that secret door, right? You're going to learn to open that secret door and every secret door you see, you'll try to open it. But if all your life, your parents is telling you or thinks somebody is reminding you that you may not be good enough to open that secret door, you're going to learn to not even try. Not even touch it, right? Right. So yeah, so as as far as transitioning, um, it was hard because I didn't see people that look like me. Um, but what I knew was I was smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to pass these tests. And um, being, I think you, I got to a point where the only people that were in my class were Asians and white people. So guess what? They were my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people I went to lunch with. Those are the people that I hung out with after, after school, did volunteer events with, um, and things like that. So it was a little 
difficult um, as far as not being able to see who other people that look like me. But I think, and I, and then also I was very quiet. Um, so people really didn't see me coming, right? It was one of those like, oh, like, because I remember specifically my algebra class, Miss um, Cunningham. <laughs> um, I remember, you know, just, it's algebra. It's just very simple. You know, like I've done SS3 in Nigeria. I mean, SS, SS1 in Nigeria. So algebra, we learned that in JS1. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is algebra? And I remember I had like 103 in the class because I was doing all the extra credit, doing all the tests, all of the stuff. Right. And I remember she looked at me crazy. Like, how are you doing so well in this class? And when people found out, like people were, people wanted me to men, uh, mentor, tutor them and things like that. So I think that's how I started um, developing like friendships because, um, or relationships in general, because like people just gravitated towards me a little bit because, you know, I understood the concepts um, and I could explain it. And also it was something cool about, you know, having an accent in the in a white um predominantly white um high school and people were kind of like oh my gosh that's crazy where are you from foreign exchange student so i think it wasn't as bad but i would say like something i did struggle with was you know being like finding somebody who looked like me on campus um but aside from that it was kind of easy to assimilate yeah um, yeah that's cool that's cool so you definitely did not play. Uh, you you work hard still at PV and you got some internship. BAS, BASF is one of the is the number one chemical company last time I checked uh, in yeah. the world. And you interned for them and then later you worked with Cargill and now you have been at Chevron for like three years. Like mm -hmm. a whole a whole engineer. Yes, <laughs> a whole engineer. Yeah, um, how, how's that? How's that? What's the biggest you feel like? Uh, how hard was it to get these opportunities, and what was that journey like? Mm, I love that question so much. Okay, so so this goes back to prayer view. Let me tell you, it's purview has a way. Or okay, me, I was hungry, right? Uh, I and and I felt like even the people around me were hungry. Um, as well. The thing about HBCUs or any kind of minority niche group is that companies, opportunities that want to cater to this group, will come, you, are, you are the target. So a lot of opportunities come specifically to, to certain institutions for whatever reason that they're trying to accomplish, right? So think, I think about it this way, like, for example, like a UCLA, very mixed school, things like that. If they're trying to target Black people, they'll probably go to a prayer view before they go to a UCLA in general, because that is probably where majority of the target demographic is. And so guess what? They're probably going to give out scholarships, whatever the case may be over there. Mm -hmm. So so I will say this. Um a lot of the opportunities were already there. It was just a matter of grabbing it um, and building relationships enough to have access to that. 
Um, so as far as the internship specifically, um, NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers, it was HBCU, we're all engineers. So the biggest, outside of SGA, the biggest organization on campus was NSBE. And um, that is really where I got connected. I got connected. We went to conventions, Nashville, um, Boston, I think there was one in Baton Rouge. Um, so I was traveling with school. I was um, obviously doing my schoolwork, right? Because at the end of the day, okay, let me let me pull back. So, so what I'm talking about is where the opportunities are. How do you get them? You got to do some of the work. So first of all, you have to keep a good GPA. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, right, um, you want to help yourself. I understand there are a lot of, um, you know, challenges that comes with academics and things like that. I'm not expecting you to have a 4.0, but have at least a 3.0 to where somebody can actually look at you and actually try to, you know, give you a chance is one thing that I would say. Um, so do your part. My part was go to class, pass the test. Yeah, do, do the work and make sure you- Do the work, do the work. Yeah. That was one thing. That's the biggest thing because at the end of the day, unfortunately, um, numbers do matter. And a lot of these companies are looking at numbers um, and at, or at least a two eight plus, right? Um, so there's that piece. The other thing is extracurriculars. I'm naturally a busybody. Um, when I was on campus, I did a whole lot. I did a whole lot. I was in SGA. I was the, I was the Senator for International Students um, on campus. I was a CEO, so a um, uh, executive rep for our American Institute for Chemical Engineers. Um, I was a senator for the National Society of Black Engineers. Wow. I, I was doing so much on campus. Um, and I was, I, and I try to make myself visible because the thing is, if you're not visible, people, let me not say if you're not visible, if you're not putting yourself out there sometimes, people don't even know to share the opportunities with you. That's one thing I found out, like you got to do the legwork as well. Yeah, it's um, what people talk about, like, oh, God has a God has a plan for you. I, I, I agree definitely that God has a lot uh, in, in helping you get your opportunities. Mm -hmm. But you still have to show up. If you just lay down in the bed, he's not going to come and knock at the door and be like, here's your it's opportunity. Not. It's not. It's not. And quite honestly, you know, it, it, it really shows like, it, it, well, let me say it this way. I feel like the black community is really relationship-based. Yeah. We all want to trust each other. Um, I mean, it, it's relationships that you build in the financial aid office that when I go up to financial aid, I'm like, hey, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. Do you have some money? Oh, let me pull up to open up her drawer and see, oh, something came across my desk. And that's how you get $1,000, right? It's like, it's the relationship that you build. It's uh, extracurriculars because that's, Extracurriculars makes you visible, but nobody, no I say that, but there's something that needs to be said about like the leadership abilities that you build by just being part of these other organizations. And um, I know Nesby specifically, um, you know, solidified a lot of things around like planning events, um, things around um, even speaking up 
Um, also, the other thing that I developed was uh, communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped me identify some of the issues that were going on within the engineering department itself and challenged me to come up with a solution. So when I was in when I was at Purview, we had a whole lot of international students and transfer students. Um, and if you really didn't live on campus, you really didn't know what was really going on. So Nesby has this uh, annual convention and it costs a lot of money to get up to Nesby. I, I mean, you would be spending $1,000 to get up to Nesby, but because you were going through the campus, it would be subsidized. And how they would sub- subsidize that was you would have to do a certain number of events um, so that, you know, um, a certain number of events, I don't know if you know the NRG Stadium, you do volunteer yeah. there and they give you like $50. So that's a fundraising activity. Yeah. But a lot of people didn't know about that. A lot of people didn't know about all these things. So they would go spend all this money or not even go to the convention because it costs too much money. And so what I did was I set up um, an email system. Give me your email. I will send you what is going on and days that you need to stay back, you know, so you can plan accordingly. Um, so I had this whole email system set up where, hey, we have to go to NRG this Saturday. Let's organize rides, guys. Or, hey, there's this opportunity here. Like, wow. to, because again, all of this stuff is posted around campus. So my on my way to lunch, I will learn about them. But because people lived on campus, they're going straight to the classroom, entering their cars and going back. So they don't really have a whole lot of the opportunities to hear and see what was going on on campus. So that was where I kind of stepped in and like shared an e- in an email newsletter format. Hey, this is what's going on. You want to be here. Hey, maybe um, stay back Tuesday night because there's a meeting and that coming to that meeting gives you points so that you have a reduced cost to go to Nesby, things like that. So, um, so as far as like, how did I get those opportunities that you just mentioned earlier was one making myself visible, obviously probably uh, finding um, solutions to a problem. Um, There was, yeah, being being value added. I think everybody should think that way. and also like keeping my grades up, keeping my grades up and networking. Um, and networking, I hate using that word networking because it sounds so official, but honestly, people just bond off of food. Like it's what do you learning, like? Yeah, learning about it's, each other. Exactly, it's very, it's, it can be very simple. It can also be very daunting, especially if, you know, you're talking to the head recruiter of Chevron, right? Yeah, um, of course. Of course, the goal is not to come and, and, and make the person want to give you a job. It's not like come and be somebody that you are not and getting them to give you the job. But it's mm-hmm. be your real self and, and saying things that are attractive to the person that is talking, talk that you're talking to in terms of like, oh, this person has something to offer. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing mm-hmm. to do something to give this person an opportunity because I know if I give this person an opportunity, Whatever they have to offer will also help me. Yeah. That's the idea of relationship. It's, it's a win-win. Yeah. A win-win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, that is how I got those opportunities. I think I think if we're talking about foundational, purview was what 
provided that to me. And I, I, you know, I think about it and I think, you know, would I have gotten all these internships and um, work experience if I did not go to Purview? Yeah, definitely. Man, I, we've we, we been talking, we still haven't gotten to the sweet, sweet yet, but it's been an amazing conversation and you have so yeah. much things, amazing things going on. But one of the, as busy as you are as a full-time employee for Chevron, which is one of the best companies uh, in the world, uh, they are your company and my company right now rival. Uh, they are the two American oil and Wait, gas companies. Exxon. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Are you in Baytown? No, I'm. I'm at the headquarters. Woodlands. Uh, Woodlands. Yeah, yeah, the Woodlands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So as 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 busy as you are doing those big uh, big valuable projects, you still managing time to to pursue your own dreams right your own interests and you created something uh, a company called ivory airy my first question to you is how did you come up with that amazing name that's a beautiful oh that's so funny i don't get that question a lot okay um truthfully um my middle name is ivory um and I had this thing when I was growing up where I called like my alter ego's name was Ivory Irie. Um, and the Irie part came from, I loved India Irie. I loved India Irie when I was growing up. And she really preached this, you know, strength, courage, and wisdom. She really preached like, you know, respect. She really preached like being yourself no matter what. Um, and I grew up on that. I really love her music. I still listen to her old hits until today. Um, and Ivory Irie came out of that because that's, I wanted to be my full self. Um, just, and just inspired by her music and everything that she does. And I was like, you know, I'm Ivory Irie. And I, it's funny, I didn't even realize I was going to actually name a company or an organization that. Um, I, I When I had the name, I had I didn't even know I was going to start something like that. I actually just had the name. But when I wanted to start something, um, and that's something being something that, that will make sense for African women, very ambitious African women that are out here doing what they they do, you know, um, and trying to help them and in, in from a perspective of, you know, providing resources to make sure that they need, a, they have everything that they need. Because it, it really goes back to that thing I was, I was saying earlier about opportunity. Like a lot of people have, a lot of people have great ideas. A lot of people are creating. A lot of people are doing a whole lot of stuff, especially African women, but they just need money. Just $500 and I'll be all right. Or they need that one mentor that will introduce them to that one person and they're set. Um, and Ivory Ivory was started to one, share our stories as African women and two, provide them with the resources to be successful. And so 
how did I come up with that name? Um, my alter ego's name was Ivory Irie. So when I wanted to do something that was related to African women and supporting them, it only made sense for me to use the name that I felt like was IJ's best self. Um, and I feel like African women should strive to be their best selves. Jesus. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought, I thought the person that popped up behind you popped up behind me. And I No, sorry. Sorry, that's my that was my amazing mother. Uh, she's oh, no, trying no. to get get me to eat breakfast. Oh, no worries. That's my mom too. <laughs> when I'm on work meetings, my mom's like, Oh, here is some yam. She's walking in. Here is some yam. And I'm like, yeah, I appreciate she, you, but my whole my whole team just saw you, mommy. <laughs> she been chasing me since 6 a.m. Now it's <laughs> one o'clock, one p.m. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, but yeah, that hopefully that answers your question. No, that, that's great. And I, I, I know we talked about it uh, a few months ago before, and now it has definitely developed into something more. Uh, what are some of the things that you, you guys are up to? Like, I know you are in California. It's a big uh, space. Uh, what are some things that you guys do at Ivory Ari? Yeah, so, so Ivory Ari is a social impact organization dedicated to sharing um, resources um, to African women um, with the intention of making sure that they 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 reach their their fullest potential um, specifically in business um, which we've pivoted a little bit um, now we've kind of like cleaned that up and this is really where we want to focus um, and honestly our goal is to make sure that the most underserved yet smartest group, um, and African continent is supported. Um, and we're making sure that we're providing her with the resources that she needs to be successful. So resources being educational, um, mentorship, money, um, and honestly listening to them and telling and letting them tell us what they need. Mm-hmm. As far as what's, you know, what are we, what are we cooking up? And we just finished up our pitch competition. Wow. Our pitch competition had over 80 applicants. Um, and they, I think we, we had like 10 countries represented. So Nigeria, South Africa, um, got a couple, it's strange enough, well, strangely enough, uh, Spain, like, oh, interesting. Um, obviously we had a few from the U S, um, but we had a lot from Ghana. We had a lot from Kenya. Um, so pretty much like targeting African women in the continent. Um, or not even in the continent, but African women in general who are solving problems in the continent. That's the biggest thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of opportunity over there. Um, and we're getting to a point where we need to be able to take care of ourselves. Um, and with the help of donors and with the help of um, people who really believe in our vision, um, we're able to help those guys build up what we would like to see back home so yeah to the rescue yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's definitely one of the things that i always go back to is i think one of the uh biggest thing about african countries uh is the fact that we have this culture uh this very traditional back 
back culture where the people feel like, I mean, the culture make it seem like women need to be at the home, mm. right? And the men need to go out there and do something. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that the more we empower women to really take charge and do the things to do, the better it is. And many times, women always lead the right way, right? Many right. times, women do things for the benefit of their children, while men do things for the benefit of their ego. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what history, that's what history shows. Uh, of course, there are some outliers, right? But I, I feel like usually when women try to lead, uh, they go with full force and they try to impact somebody else's life. So yeah. what you're doing yeah. is definitely important, is empowering, and it is what, uh, it, it is something that we need, uh, not just in uh, a specific country, but in Africa and all over the world. So keep shining at it, man. I'm rooting Thank for you. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I know uh, entrepreneurship is definitely a, a something foreign for minority. Uh, I mean, minorities have been doing entrepreneurships all their life, but it hasn't been, it's more like, how can I do something to survive, right? Instead of more like officially the way uh, people, people of majority background have the platform to to really take their time and figure things out and make it big, right? So in terms of the official idea of entrepreneurship, minorities has been uh, very few. We definitely have a lot of work to do, but it seems like black women have have definitely, uh, the population of black women in entrepreneurship had definitely increased Mm -hmm. over the past few years. you guys are rushing into it and just trying to solve as many problems as possible, which is amazing. For you, from your point of view, what is the space like? Do you feel like there is enough room? Do you feel like there is enough support for black women trying to come up with a solution that has the potential to improve lives? I think regardless, there's always room for improvement. Do I feel like Black women are supported in business? I think a lot of people try to. I think the the Black Lives Matter has helped in that companies are pledging. I think Google just announced that they're pledging a billion dollars towards like African startups. Um, I'm forgetting if it was Visa, but one of these companies, they're pledging millions of dollars to support Um, you know, minorities or Black people in business. So I think there's, we're definitely seeing growth. We're definitely seeing the visibility or, um, or the increased visibility um, of how other people can help and invest in um, Black-owned businesses. Um, But I still think that there's, there's still room to help. I mean, if we look at, look at it, look at the statistics, I think like less than 2% 2% of venture capitalist money actually goes to black, um, uh, like black owned businesses, let a, God forbid you're a woman, God forbid you're part of the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, that's, that's blacks in general, and that's very low number. And I think that data point tells us how much work we've got to do. Now, mm-hmm. if we look at the African continent itself, um, 58% of, um, entrepreneurs on the continent are women. Um, 
And let, like, when you really think about, when you really think about that, that means 42% of them are men. Mm-hmm. So there's over half of half half of the um, economical potential that we're leaving on the table just because this person is a woman, right? Yeah. Or just access to resources or all these things, right? Um, and that's equivalent to about $40 million, a billion dollars, sorry, in financial, in a financial gap because women in the continent aren't actively participating in the um, um, entrepreneurial ecosystem as much as they should. Mm-hmm. So there is space. In fact, there's too much space that needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of where Ivory Irie comes in, where we're trying to bridge that gap as well. Um, and I think that it, it doesn't, it, you don't need to be Ivory to support in general. It's as simple as going to that local black business and saying, Hey, let me buy Jello fries. Like, um, it's as simple as companies being intentional about who they're investing in as well. Yeah. It's also, um, important that there are a lot of, um, resources out there easily accessible resources out there that black people have access to in general um because one thing i found out is like you know there's a lot of stuff out there um but nobody not nobody but there are very limited places where they're all like streamlined and easy to read sometimes there's a lot of jargon there's sometimes um there's just a lot of stuff that really stops people from um having that access that they need, some of which obviously is money. Let's, I mean, let's really speak about that over, I think, what's the number? 70% of women don't even have bank accounts in Africa. Like let's, oh. let's really talk about the root of the problems. So, so people are still putting money in their tiny in Dirapa, or mm-hmm. they're putting it under their bed, burying it, things like that. So um, there is access to finance, there is information because that's critical. Let's speak on mentors. A lot of people don't even have people to go to. Um, so how will you know what you don't know, right? Yeah. Um, there, there are no communities or limited communities where people can actually have all these conversations. So I think there's a, there's a lot of room to improve, but it really starts with us as individuals. When you do see organizations like, say, Ivory Irie, are you donating towards them? Are you offering up your time? Or are you just going to, walking across the street and supporting that local Black business? Um, and so I think there's so many ways that we can like step in um, and improve, um, improve that. But I really like to see a lot of those like, numbers go up that's amazing man that's amazing i I really love how you the definitely the problem is there and i completely agree that there is enough space more than enough space for us to fill. um going back to just how busy you are and undertaking something so big how how do you manage your time i'm starting to realize that busy people just like be busy it's like there's always something to work on uh um i will go ahead and start off by saying you give your time to what you want to give your time to exactly um 
yes, I can be busy, but I, I will say this year I have tried to streamline what I want to focus my time on. And um, starting by prioritizing rest. Ooh, give me one second. Give me one second. No worries. Yeah, we've been talking for a while. So computers yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, okay, here we go. Um, so so yes, you will, oh, I do not charging anymore. Holy smokes. All right, we good? Okay, we're good. All right, so um, how do I manage my time again? So you know, you want to, you prioritize what you want to prioritize. Um, I think, especially with all the stuff that happened last year, I've gotten to the point where I really want to, things that I want to prioritize are obviously things like my relationship with God, um, rest, <laughs> um, and focus on things that actually make me happy. Um, and that is hanging out with friends. That is ivory, ivory that, and, and, and it doesn't need to be in a grandeur, like, you know, way it, it, it can just be as simple as, you know what, today I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to grab coffee, um, with a friend, things like that. So for me, I manage my time by, first of all, figuring out what is good for me, um, and anything else would just be weeded out. So like coming out of last year, one thing I told myself, I was like, you know, IJ, anything that's happened on social media, just scroll past it. Just, just be scrolling past it. Don't even waste your, your um, emotional energy on this, right? Um, so as far as time management, honestly, it boils down to you. Um, make sure that, at least for me, one thing I had to figure out for myself was what makes IJ happy and what is healthy for her. Um, and you allocate your time accordingly to those things. Everything else can fall off the list. Everything else can be reprioritized later. But in that moment, make sure you're you're doing things that um that uh, serve you. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't be naive in saying that you know there haven't been some times where I had to stay up super late. Again, I do have a nine to five job. Um, and a lot of things I have to work on after, after work. So I've definitely had late nights, but don't let that become a habit, especially if you're having to sacrifice rest, which is one thing that was on top of my list. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing, man. I have so many questions, but we're about to, <laughs> we're about yeah. to run out of time. But one thing that I wanted to ask you to finalize our conversation here is, what is your vision uh, for Ivory Ari? It's, it's a big undertaking and it definitely has so much potential, but what's your vision in the next Yeah. Year? My vision for Ivory Ari is honestly, quite honestly, is a place where African women are in the center of our economy. 
um, and a place where everybody can equally participate in in the economy. Um, and I and I say that, and it sounds very like political and all of that stuff. But honestly, when I see our uh, Caucasian counterparts and um, Jewish counterparts, all these people, they're doing all of these things. They don't just do it for them. They just somehow blow up on a global perspective. A lot of things that we do as Africans is like us specific, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's time for us to participate on a global, um, on a global level. Does that make sense? Like it's not, I think about Facebook, like we have the ability to come up with something that is like a Facebook that can eventually go be global. Um, So when, when I say that, I feel like when I say my vision, um, although, you know, now we're, you're making small strides to get up to that point, but I really do envision a place where African women can actually say, you know, I'm fully participating in the global economy and, access to resources is not a problem for me. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. I'm um, not to say that won't change in the future, but right now I really just want to see us moving, making moves, um, on, on a larger scale. Um, and when we do that, when we start doing that, we are employing people. So guess what? People are able to take care of their families. When we do that, um, we're building better, stronger communities. When we do that, we're building our own economy. When we do that, we become better leaders, we become better people. Poverty, we start reducing. A lot of things can really drastically shift. If we can take up that 58% of the women that are not fully participating in this moment in time, if we get to a point where they can, it's sky is the limit. Yeah. Wow. That that cannot be better. That's amazing. Uh, do you have any website or any place that you want people to to connect with you and and learn more about Ivory Ari? Yeah. So specifically for Ivory Ari, um, we do have a website. It is www.ivoryire.org. Um, is spelled I-V-E-R-Y-A-R-I-E dot org. Um, and there you can kind of see everything, what we're all about, the things that we've done in the past, um, and any opportunities that may be coming up in the future if you are an African woman in business or know somebody who's interested. Um, you can also follow our social media pages um, on Instagram, um, Ivory IRE everywhere. <laughs> Um, and for me personally, you can also, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It is Ijoma Ejimadu, um, on LinkedIn. So yeah, it was, um, great chatting with you. Yes. This has been an amazing conversation and definitely in the future, I will have more conversations like this, where we have amazing people, uh, who, who are doing uh, who, who have their job and they have an amazing journey to get in their job, but also have decided to not only uh, go to work, but also build their own empire, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. Uh, oh, I'm thank so, you. so much rooting for you. 
So definitely this is not uh, just a podcast, but it's a connection uh, I'm hoping for life. And I'll definitely yeah. keep keep uh, in contact with you. I'll follow you. I'll be one of the person who's following you in all the social medias. So definitely thank it was you. a great conversation. And yeah. Yeah, no, thank you again for the opportunity. Again, an honor to be here. And also, um, it's always nice to just kind of share your experience. I really love the platform where I'm able to just inspire by just being IJ. Um, and also, congrats on just your platform. And obviously, like, again, I think I mentioned this earlier, but we need platforms like this. Um, a lot of people draw inspiration from things like this. It is very important that we continue to have a platform where we are sharing our experiences. So I do applaud your great work as well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you and talk to you soon. Have a great Alrighty. day. You have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.